Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Welcome everyone. So today we have Sean Choudhury. He's currently running uh, as a Democratic candidate for Congress, uh, New York District 5, uh, former U.S. Marine, and Ocasio-Cortez's former Deputy Policy Director. Welcome, Sean. Hey, thank you for having me on, Kamala. I appreciate this. Is, uh, is Sean uh, a Daknam or is it a hyphenated uh, version of Shanyat? Yeah, it's a hyphenated. It's a nickname for Shanyat. Uh, I don't know, ever since I went to kindergarten, no one could ever pronounce Shanyat. Even Bengali people have trouble saying it sometimes. So really? Sean is fine. Yeah. How how are you? Are you comfortable with Sean? I've gotten used to it. Um, yeah. Just because I started using it probably since I was fifteen. I, I kid you not. Every everywhere I go, people can't pronounce it. So I'm like, you know what? Just call me Sean for short. It makes everyone's life easier. Yeah. So I go by Cam. It's Cam rule, but I go by Cam, yeah. and for the same reasons, because it was just easier. But I've, yeah. I've, I've been struggling with it because, you know, Hassan Minaj has kind of put this thing out there where you want people to call you by what your name, you know, what your name really yeah. was, Camerol. And yeah. I've been struggling with it. And I'm, but, but at the same time, just like you, I'm so used to it. I'm so used to Cam. And when yeah. somebody calls me Camerol, that's, it just seems weird. So I, I'm just, yeah. it's just, it's not, I'm struggling with it. Yeah. And I get that, you know, some people, you know, some people that I've known as from childhood friends, they still call me Shanya. And okay. I don't care either way. To me, it's just, you know, call me Sean, Shania, and I respect either way, so it, it doesn't bother me. Where did you grow up? Everywhere. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I was born in, I was born in Queens, uh, but ever since um, I was born, I'm moving around a lot from, the, from Queens to the Bronx, back to Queens. With, I've lived in Jersey for the uh, early parts of my childhood, bounced around a lot over there. Lived in Detroit for a little bit came back to Jersey, and then, uh, you know, after we lost our home in a financial crisis, uh, we moved back to New York. So I've, I've been living in Jamaica for the last 12 years now. Wow. Yeah. So you're running in uh, District 5. So I used to live in Queens Village, so I'm very familiar with that district. Um, I'm also very familiar with your incumbent. And I'll be honest with you, I knew, I've known about Gregory Meeks for a long time, and I'm not into politics, but he's someone that makes me really want to get into politics because I'm shocked <laughs> this guy's not in jail. So talk about why yeah. you wanted to run against him. Yeah, I mean, I think there's already some good points as to why, you know, someone should challenge him. But, um, you know, I'm a product of public education, public housing, and I want to bring working class representation, you know, and bringing that working class representation is parallel with trying to, find, trying to fight for intersectional justice whether it's housing, whether it's criminal justice reform, healthcare, public education, jobs, um, all that, whether you're Bengali, whether you're from Haiti, whether you're from Mexico, like we're all in this fight together. Um, and, you know, essentially when we have someone like Meeks in office for the last 20 years, he's been doing the bidding for Wall Street and the real estate industries, and they've been making millions of dollars off the backs of working people while we've lost everything. You know, we lost our homes, we lost our jobs. Um, so what does that have to do? You know, what, what has it shown for 20 years of the same representation? Um, working people have not been benefiting off of it. So I, you know, I currently live these experiences, you know, every day. And I just feel like we need to bring 
uh, more empathy and, and a social consciousness back to Congress because the approval ratings for Congress is terrible. Yeah. Um, for, you know, it's, so this is about just changing hearts and, and minds one step at a time. Yeah, I just want to read what Crew said about Gregory Meeks, just so people understand the breadth of, of his, his politics. It's, Crew is its organization in Washington that rates politicians, and he was rated one of the five most corrupt politicians um, in the country. And they said, given the breadth of his misdeeds, it is surprising Rep Representative Meeks hasn't found himself in handcuffs already. Um, how has he been able to continuously win? And you're not the first Bengali person to run against him. You're not the right. first person of color to run against him. Mazan Choudhury, who I know, ran against him, I think last year, he didn't do too well. Why do you think people, um, why do you think people haven't been able to um, get him off of the seat? You know, I think um, it, be, it does begin with voter suppression in the district. I think that when, when you don't have to actively campaign because you have millions of dollars in your war chest, um, you know, you don't really have to worry about being uh, challenged. So a lot of people don't even know that there are elections coming up. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of these politicians have been in power for so long, they don't really try to talk about the elections that are coming up because they, their only focus right now is, is November, you know, and it's Trump. While that is a huge issue, we, we also need to recognize that the current system that, that helped Trump get there is also part of the problem. Uh, so, you know, voter suppression is one, also, he does have millions of dollars, so it's hard to challenge anyone who has a lot of money um, and a lot of institutional power. So, you know, this campaign, what we've been able to do is, is bring collective efforts from many different diverse backgrounds and just organizers coming together from the community. And this is, I believe, the first campaign where uh, we're giving Meeks a run for his money. So, um, you know, it, it's been hard for a lot of campaigns in the past, um, but I think with this campaign, it's, it's, it's different, you know? I feel it's different. Yeah, the last uh, campaign against Meeks, I think voter turnout was 3%, 3%, which, you know, is mind boggling because yeah. that just means, I mean, 97% of the population did not vote in that campaign. Okay. So what are some of the things that you're doing to make sure people turn out? Yeah, you know, and that's another point. I, I think a lot of people also, also are turned off by politics. You know, people, when we talk to people, uh, they don't want to vote because they don't have any faith in the system. So we see a lot of that. Um, and sometimes a lot of people don't know who the candidates are. So our campaign, just because we are organizers first and then, you know, politicians second, uh, we've been able to digitally organize. We've been able to get our names out there using social media. Uh, phone banking. So, you know, we're making phone calls to our constituents and voters and letting them know about their options. Um, and now that people, you know, a lot of people self-isolated. So I think that uh, they have the chance now to look up what their options are. And, you know, when they're, when they're looking up between, uh, the, you know, from the, put, comparing myself to Meeks, uh, you know, they are able to see uh, which decision is probably best for them. And, uh, you know, we're feeling pretty good. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy where we are. Have you had conversations with, let's say, Mizan or other people that have run against him just to get a sense of, you know, what worked for them and maybe some lessons learned there? Yeah, you know, you know, uh, yeah, I spoke to Mizan. You know, he's told me that it's, it's always hard. You know, it's, it's always hard. Um, but he also came in, you know, he started his campaign a little later than uh, most people do. So, um, 
you know, starting a grassroots campaign, it's not easy to do because you have to do it from the ground up, right? Uh, you need to get, find the right people around your team. You need to make sure that you're able to start fundraising um, and, you know, be consistent with it. So you know, they give me this advice and we've taken what they've given me and I, you know, we're doing things our way. We're doing it without consultants. We're doing it uh, with grassroots organizers and activists and just everyday people who are trying to feel inspired to, to make a change. You had an interesting reason for wanting to run. I think you had a conversation with Meeks on Twitter or something, right? Can you talk about what yeah. specific event made you want to run? Yeah. So this was uh, December 2018, and I'm a Marine Corps veteran. So, you know, coming from um, a military background, Trump had sent the, uh, the military down to the Mexico border to keep asylum seekers coming from Central South America into the U.S. So as a veteran, I organized with other veterans to show that veterans care about immigrant rights. And it's just not veteran issues that veterans only care about. So we went down to the border and we saw majority of people over there who were coming up to the border were women and children. And I should tell you that they have nowhere else to go. So after listening to these heartbreaking stories, you know, we provided aid, make sure that, you know, medical aid, food. Um, we came back after a week and I asked Meeks on Twitter publicly, like, hey, you know, you're the, uh, you know, you're, you sit on the Committee for Foreign Affairs. You represent a district which is 70% immigrant. Um, we've had many ice raids happen here in New York 5. What can you do about this? Have, you know, what kind of stance are you going to be taking against Trump and, you know, the immigration injustice that we're facing? And uh, he said, you know, yeah, we need to get Trump out, but we also need to create more bed space for these asylum seekers and these detention centers. Mind you, these detention centers, these are, these are not like your public schools. These are pretty much, these are jails, these are prisons. They're tearing families apart. Uh, children are not able to see their families probably ever again, or for, you know, for, you know how long, who knows? And uh, to get that kind of response was very underwhelming. Um, I was really disappointed. And that kind of just told me right there that there needs to, there needs to be change because I can either continuously complain about the situation or I could do something about it. And, you know, I, I figured that it's, I, I should do something about it. Why Congress and not assemblyman or one of our representative or one of these other positions? Yeah, so Congress is the only level of office where you could have things like Medicare for all, where you could have free public college tuition for all, um, you know, where we could fight for reparations. Um, and these are all, you know, all these collective issues matter to me because of my own personal experience uh, growing up poor, moving around a lot. So, you know, I wasn't just living in New York for the most of my, most of my life. I also lived in New Jersey. I lived in Detroit. I was stationed out in California. And all these experiences have, have taught me that, you know, no matter who you are, um, as long as you're in the bottom 99%, we're always going to be fighting against the same system. And well, you know, I'm challenging Meeks because he's an enabler to that system, right? It's just not him that where I'm trying to challenge. It's also the system that he supports, that he takes money from. Um, and, and I believe that, yes, we need to get Trump out of office, but we can't also move backwards either. We need to continue to have a vision going forward. Um, and so if it requires me to challenge Meeks, then I will do that. Yeah, it's unfortunate too, because he's a part of the Democratic Party that is uh, supposed to you know, look out for minority-related uh, issues. He's also the head of the Queen's uh, Democratic Party, uh, yeah. right? 
So how are you able to, I guess, because I mean, he's super establishment. He's, he's ingrained into the system. So how do you fight against that? Yeah. Um, you know, this fight is not just national. It's also hyperlocal because he is also the chair of the Queen's Democratic Party. Uh, but essentially, it's being operated by three real estate attorneys uh, who are, you know, taking working felonies to court to foreclose on their homes and, and businesses. So, and, you know, because of that, they've been making millions of dollars off the backs of working families. So the institutional power is there, they have the money, but with this campaign, what we've been able to do is try to bring new people into the democratic process, you know? Um, Cause I'm, I'm tired just like many other people who are, who feel like they have to be told to wait their turns or that they have to, they're being told that they have to do things certain ways in order to, you know, get what they want. And I'm tired of playing by those rules because nothing has, you know, we have not been benefiting from it uh, by playing by the rules. And I don't want to play by the rules in order to get what we want. So, um, and, I, and I think there's a, sh a shared sentiment within the people within the district that feel the same way. So when people find out that they could use this campaign in order to voice their political power, we have come together and we are getting, we're getting close and we're feeling like we could really win this thing on June 23rd. Do you think you'll benefit from the fact that people are, a lot of people are now going to vote from home? I mean, it's a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, it does make it easier. Um, you know, so we're trying our best to encourage people to vote absentee. Um, but then we've also encountered people who uh, don't trust the absentee ballot uh, process because there is a lot of, you know, misinformation, difficulties around how to properly fill it out. So our campaign is trying our best to inform voters how to properly fill it out. Um, and we're trying our best to encourage them to vote. But, um, you know, by absentee, but other people are also encouraged to, they're feeling empowered to also vote in person just because they want to. Um, so, yeah. you know, we're, we're definitely are benefiting from it because it's just a lot, people are at home right now and they're able to really see what's going on in their own communities and see what kind of changes need to happen. Cool. So on your website, you have some really detailed uh, policy uh, stances. I found them interesting. I think they were different from other campaigns that I've looked at. Like for example, you had a section uh, you had a policy stands on, on Puerto Rico, which I thought was interesting. And obviously that's not in your district, but uh, I thought that was interesting that you had a policy stance specifically on, on Puerto Rico and the Jones Act, which was really interesting. I know, um, you know, I have some Puerto Rican friends that have always talked about how, you know, we, we hear about Puerto Rico and how impoverished it is, but there's some structural reasons and laws that are keeping Puerto Rico from, um, uh, you know, becoming self-reliant. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so actually, you know, we, New York does have a 20% uh, population of uh, Latinos and a vast majority of them are from Puerto Rico. So, you know, when I look at Puerto Rico, um, I, I do believe that it, it, it should be an independent nation um, and that the people should decide how they want to be liberated, how they want to run the democracy. And I don't think the U.S. in general should have any say uh, with any kind of country as to how they want to run their country um and we've imposed you know so many of our our you know capitalistic imperialistic uh nature on them and we've kind of taken away money and their and their power from being self um reliant um and we've made millions of dollars off that a lot of corporations have made millions of dollars yeah. off of that um and i just think that's just morally wrong you know um so i that's why you know i fight for puerto rico i, I just it's just out of just pure humanity, you know, this is common sense issues to me.
does it come up? Because you said 20% of your uh, base um, is Puerto Rican. Are they aware of those issues? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. People, uh, you know, anyone who is proud of being Puerto Rican, and I, you know, I'm sure you can attest to this, but uh, you know, Puerto Ricans are, are proud people, and um, you know, we've seen with the protests that have been happening over the last year or so with with the government that um, you know people do want to see their their country be free. Um, so people are definitely aware of what's going on. Talk about reparations also for both for uh, African Americans and Native Americans, which is interesting. Yeah. What made you, uh, what made you focus on that as a, as a policy issue? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really important issue because the black community has been the most oppressed community in this country uh, over the last you know, 400 years. And we're seeing how it's changed from the, you know, from the time of slavery to civil rights movement now to where economically uh, the lack of access to housing, to um, income inequality, to education, it's trickled down. And, and I think that a lot of it does stem from, uh, you know, what the U.S. and uh, Europe has done to other nations that are, uh, you know, that are not white. So I think that it's way past overdue. And I and also think that, especially in this climate now, in, in this country, what's going on with George Floyd, um, the racial tension in this country is ever more apparent. Um, and then at the root of it, America has never really acknowledged you know, we, they may teach about it on the surface in elementary school, middle school, but we never really have a full conversation about, um, you know, really addressing and even like apologizing um, for the, you know, for what's been done in the past. Um, and we're seeing with redlining as well, there's racist laws that are still in place that make it difficult for black families to have access to, um, you know, equality and equity. And, and, and I believe that as a as, as South Asian ally, I believe that when the black community flourishes, then we all do, you know. And um, I really do, I really do believe that uh, because South Asians also face, you know, income inequality, housing rights. Um, so, and we're in this fight together. You know, it's it's uh, difficult having this conversation with a lot of Bengali people, even people in our age, about how African Americans have been, you know, structurally. Yeah. Um, you know, kept from uh, rising. So I, but I had a conversation with a friend earlier today and it, you know, we, I, one thing that actually resonated with him and I guess it, it, it was interesting that this is what resonated with him was this, we talked about, we were talking about, what, I mentioned that, did you, have you ever seen The Godfather? I don't know if you've ever watched the movie The Godfather, but in Godfather 1, they basically end up, the, the five families, the five Italian families, mafia families, end up agreeing to um, not sell cocaine because uh, the, the, the actual godfather doesn't want to sell cocaine, but all families come together and they agree to sell cocaine, but to African-Americans. So yeah. it's, so it wasn't even, so that's a, it's not a government um, agency, but just shows, but the, but the mafia is a very structured, uh, powerful organization. And the actual mafia did do that. So then you're, so you're talking about a generation of, of fathers potentially that were drugged up, I mean, intentionally drugged up. Um, and, you know, and you see the ripple effects of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. And that, so I think that, that, that like, that's like a kind of conversation that I think, you know, um, and we've been trying to have it on Boney is, uh, you know, because we, the idea, um, you know, racism, uh, it exists in our, in our communities also. It does. 
it's uh, it's very difficult to have these conversations, but um, we've been trying to start some of those conversations on, on Boney. It's, it, it's worth having because, you know, even, even on an old culture, we'll see, you know, uh, you know, fair and lovely, right? How they try to erase uh, dark-skinned Bengali people. You know, growing up, like I'm a dark-skinned Bengali person, so I, I face discrimination because of the color of my skin within my own, you know, community. Um, so, you know, what, you know, regardless of whether or not, you know, uh, you know, who I am, I, I kind of am empathetic towards, uh, you know, towards the cause, and I also feel like we need, do need to address the anti-blackness in our communities. And that's something that I think, you know, the Bengalis of New York could really use our platform to really talk about these things. Um, because we, I think there's a lot of Bengali people who don't even realize how much, you know, black civil rights leader fought for, for us. Yeah. Um, you know, Langton Hughes fought for immigrant rights. Like we wouldn't be here if it was, was it for civil rights leaders back then. Um, so we, you know, I think it's, we have an obligation to, to pay our respects and also fight with our allies today. What are your family's uh, thoughts about you uh, getting into politics? You know, you know, Bengali people love politics, so you know they, uh, you know they, um, they thought it was interesting. You know, they support it. Uh, so you know, the, you know, they tell me, you know, talk to uncle so and so, talk to auntie, you know, talk to this mosque, and I'm like, yeah, that's great, and all, you know, like I'm doing it, but um, you know. We just have to keep in mind that we're doing it the right way, uh, you know, because it's just not about just going to a gathering and, you know, try to get votes that way. We have to make sure that each person is being heard um, and that this is just not only based on politics, right? This is, this is more than just politics. Um, this is also about organizing. Um, and what does that mean for the Bengali community? And there's so many other groups coming up. Uh, like, you know, there's Muslims for Progress, there is the uh, Bangladeshi Americans Political for Progress. There's a lot of grassroots organizers who are coming up um, and we really want to make sure that the, the politics stuff is important, but we also need to continue to organize in a way where we are on the ground and talking to our, you know, Bengali people. Even with the coronavirus pandemic, uh, you know, our campaign and other Bengali organizers used this time to make sure we delivered groceries, make sure we were giving out medicine to families who needed it. So, you know, we need to work in tandem and that's what we're trying to do. What, um, what are some other issues that you, you're focusing on? We talked about some of them. What are some other issues? Uh, you know, Medicare for all, free public college tuition, the Green New Deal. Um, and there's a lot of issues. Criminal justice reform, especially during this time, uh, I do believe. And you know, it's, a, it's a touchy topic, but and I think it's a topic that it's worth having a conversation around about how we transition from the abolition of prison, you know, I do think we could definitely transition um, into that um, and ensure that the investment in community resources are, are met. Um, investing in public education, community services, our healthcare system, housing. So that way we, when we improve the quality of life of people, people don't have to worry about uh, needing to, you know, survive and, you know, find other ways to survive in, in this world. So, um, you know, just trying to paint a really positive uh, picture of what this campaign is about for not just the moment, but what we're trying to do for the future. You talked about it earlier, but you were in the Marines for, for six yeah. years, right? Where, you, where yeah. were you stationed? I was, I, 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 sometimes I tell people San Diego just because people don't know what this place is, but it's called 29 Palms, California. Okay. Um, it's, it's literally a desert, uh, as close as you get to the southernmost part of California. 
so I was out there for most of my time. I was even out in uh, North Carolina before that. And then I spent the uh, last three years of my time here in uh, Garden City, Long Island. Were you deployed? No. I enlisted in a time where uh, President Obama was uh, withdrawing the troops from both Iraq and Afghanistan. So people were starting to be pulled out. Uh, people were being you know, told to leave the military just because there was nothing to do. Um, and then I left you know, at the right time, I guess. Uh, as soon as Trump got in office, I was in my last year of my contract. So I was slowly transitioning out. But um, yeah, so I never got a chance to deploy. What made you join the Marines? Uh, my family needed money. You know, uh, I was 18, 19 years old. I was working uh, an $8 job working at Office Max. And, you know, we, my family was still recovering from losing our home. Um, so I'm the eldest of three and I just felt like there was an obligation, you know, when you're, when you're the son or just, you know, the, the eldest sibling in general, um, you have an obligation to help your family, you know, at some point. Um, so I figured that I needed, this is my way. The military is providing housing, healthcare, education benefits. And I felt like it would be a good way for me to obtain that and, you know, make sure I could help my family that way. But, um, the Marine yeah. provides housing for your family as well? Uh, yeah, they can. They can. But, uh, you know, I, I figured it would be easier for my family financially uh, where I don't have to live there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, I was able to be self-sufficient. Um, but, yeah, you know, military does allow that if, if you could always bring your family with you wherever you want to go. So. And what are some skills uh, that you obtained there that you think will help you in the campaign? Uh, being disciplined, being consistent, um, you know, and just being fearless, you know, even though I don't support the uh, military industrial complex, I, I do appreciate the values that were instilled in me, uh, just, you know, being focused, uh, you know, learning to be a leader, you know, and that comes with a lot of uh, learning about yourself, learning about the team, listening, you know, knowing when you're wrong. Um, and also just, uh, you know, never giving up. I think that's the, that's the best value to take out of it is to never give up uh, because running grassroots campaign is, is difficult. Uh, more than a year ago, we started out with zero dollars with any little to no supporters. Um, and we built this campaign from the ground up and turned it into something no one could ever imagine. Um, so I'm proud of how far we've come. And, you know, this, you know, being a Marine has always been about finishing the job and we look to finish the job in a couple of weeks. Yeah, you build a really strong team. You have a large team from what I understand. Someone that's on the Boney team is also on your team is volunteering, Mohamed um, Noel. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, you've built a really strong team. How, how did that work out? I did, did your previous experience and the contacts you made at, on AOC's campaign, did that help? Uh, some, you know, I really wanted to do this on our own. You know, I really wanted to be your own, like I wanted to be my own person, I wanted to be my own candidate. I also wanted to share our own story. Uh, you know, what we found was that there's a lot of people in this campaign, volunteers, supporters coming on because they really resonate with the messaging, they resonate with my story. Um, and, you know, when they feel inspired to be part with, to be in, in a mission with other like-minded people, um, I, I think that that's made us even stronger. So our branding, you know, our campaign manager, uh, Kenneth, has done a terrific job. Our fan house pastor, Anthony, has done a terrific job. 
um, our communications people, Claire and Thivia, you know, they've been able to do outreach social media, um, get the right press. And, and I think that when you have the right people around you, um, things will always go well. Yeah, it definitely takes a, a village. What are some key dates you have coming up? So right now, uh, early voting starts uh, June 13th. Uh, so most people might have just gotten their absentee ballots. So we're you know, reaching out to voters right now, making sure they're filling out the absentee ballots. But early voting starts June 13th and it ends on the, uh, I believe the 16th, if I'm not wrong, or the 19th. Um, and then election day is on June 23rd. So if people were unable to fill out the absentee ballots, um, June 23rd is the, the day to go out there and make your vote. Cool. Listen, I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you a couple of reasons. Obviously, you're Bengali. You're, you're running in, a, in, my pre, in my old neighborhood. And you're running against someone that I think uh, should have left office a, a long time ago or gotten kicked out. So I'm really excited for you. And I hope you do well. I hope you win. I, I think you will win. And when you win, I hope you come back uh, and talk to Thank us again. Thank you. Oh, also, one more thing. Uh, yeah. Another key date. This, uh, this Sunday at 7 p.m., we're looking to have a debate. We invited Gregory Meeks to a debate. Uh, so we're waiting for him to confirm. So that'll be on Facebook Live. I love that. I lo he hasn't confirmed yet, but you made the flyer. I, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're trying to pressure him in. You think, he, uh, you think he'll do it? I hope so. We'll see. Yeah, I hope so, too. Yeah, well, we'll I saw the poster. We, I think we, re I think we re reposted it. But when you, okay. do, when you do it, we'll definitely repost it again. That's, uh, yeah, I love that. I love that you did that. It's a, it's a cool Thank way you. to get him to uh, come to the table. I hope he yeah. doesn't chicken out. Um, but yeah, good luck with the campaign. And again, come back when you, when you win. Thank you. We'll do. Appreciate it. Okay, bye. Have a good one. Bye. The red and green I beat is always in my heart. I do it for my people, always in my thoughts. I gotta be honest. With diamonds and pearls. Yeah, yeah. Bengalis in New York. All over the world. It's the bony show. Hey, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live. From the slang we spit to the gangs we with. It doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh. I say, hey, come on. Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live. From the slang we 